Cold blue is when it's 32 and under. A single digit in the wind chill is that we call it extreme. That means that we take anybody in, even those who misbehave, as long as they not acting violent today. Meaning we forgot yesterday, we're dealing with today. Our main thing is not to see you freezing the cold. Our main thing is to make sure you have a coat, clothing. It just starts snowing, right? You had guys on the line with hoodies that sign in. I just look, see what they got. I just ran and got a couple of coats. That's what we do. Little gestures like that, you'd be amazed of how it helped people. Or just show them kindness. This girl I was telling you about earlier, mm-hmm. it almost broke my heart when she od But I always look out for a show of Christ's love. Because mm-hmm. somebody showed me that type of love. And I always look out for them. Still, she might be in the crisis room waiting. But after this, I told her, you know, always try to look out for people. If I can't, I, I know I can't save the world. But that's what I do. I figure like this, me practicing it, it spreads. You know, and it has. You'd be amazed at the number of people have gratitude just for a helping hand, just for a kind word. We encountering people that experience homeless also for the first time. Mm. And it's really a shocker to them. Worst thing they can get caught up with is the wolves in the streets. Because yeah. then they can sense and smell such. And we try to protect them from it if they listen. Some do, some don't. Seniors to seniors, whether a senior in college or senior in your mature years, the common denominators of every stage of life is explored as host Robert J. LaCosta interviews seniors about how they got to where they are and how they are continuing to crush it in their mature years. LaCosta is known as the senior editor because he has interviewed seniors for the past three decades and is perhaps the longest running writer in this narrowest of niches. This podcast affords him the opportunity to pass along the same sagely wisdom that he has received from elders and has admired during his 30s. 40s, 50s, and now. LaCosta is a board-certified hearing instrument specialist who has helped over 10,000 seniors overcome hearing impairment. He draws deeply from the intimacy and privilege of those relationships. And now, it's time for The Age Sage. On today's episode of The Age Sage, the senior editor Robert J. LaCosta begins a two-part series with guest Kevin Anderson of The Rescue Mission. If you're in need of inspiration, look no further than right here on The Age Sage. Here is your host, Robert J. LaCosta. And ladies and gentlemen, from the Capital City Rescue Mission on South Pearl Street in Albany, New York, or Smallbany as some people call it, the capital of New York, we're talking with Kevin Anderson. Hey, welcome, Kevin. Good at, good evening, rather. Good evening, good evening. Yeah, Robert LaCosta here, the yeah. H. Sage is airing now. Kevin, you and I have known each other for a little while, but um, because we're both involved with the rescue mission, but I'm just a volunteer chaplain. You are full-time. Can you tell people what you do here, what your title is, real, real briefly? Okay. Um, my title here at the Capital City Rescue Mission is the Evening Supervisor. And what we do um, is the RA Supervisor, Resident Assistance. And our job here is to help those that lost their way. 
even direct them to the coordinator or first and most of all we meet their needs because there's a lot of people that lost their ways from all walks of life all backgrounds so they come through the door we show them the love of christ by our actions and our ways we don't try to get too super religious on them because it could spook people out we just acted out instead of just talking and at some at at sometimes the point of entry their their mind is actually not in a position where they would really understand uh, any of the spiritual aspects they might they might have a background but at the at the point of their addiction or mental health uh, they might not even understand that if you did go into it most definitely they don't a lot of people, you know, we encounter people that's been in the streets for a while. And um, the most shocking part is one who just became homeless or just lost everything. And just like you say, we just illustrate through our actions by meeting their needs. If they need a coat, clothing, you know, we are in, in, um, we give them information about what we have to offer. Like we have two different programs, New Life Disciple Program, which one I came through. I always recommend that one first. And we also have a VE team, Volunteer Extension Program, Work Program, which either way they come out good. So we, we know we basically allow them to recognize through our testimony first. Mm-hmm. We don't hit them in the head, try to play preacher to them. We explain. Tell them about our background, our experience. Speaking of that, why, why don't you tell our uh, listeners just a little bit about your, you know, how you got involved in this ministry, your background, and then we'll transition into like where you're headed. Okay, most definitely. Um, my background is kind of dark. You know, I started out in New York City. I grew up real rough. You know, made a lot of mistakes. You know, um, household was infested with a lot of junkies from the Vietnam War. Had two brothers that came back with the addiction, which transformed our household into a shoot gallery, which is, you know, people coming to pay do drugs. So I was one broken and lost in all my ways. And how how much older were your brothers than you when oh, they came back from Vietnam? Oh, my brothers and my brothers is like I say, a good twenty. 15 years older than me because my mother had me in a later age. Oh, you know, okay. You know, she had me in a real late age. In fact, I was born here in Albany. You know, yeah, she came I, up I, and visit, and I was Mother's Day's baby. You know, I came uh, here in Mother's Day. She didn't expect it, but I, I was <laughs> 1962 and Mother's Day. So I was a gift. So, you know, our home became broken and in so many ways. My mom's always was a, a woman of God, and, and, you know, a lot of stuff was on her, you know, and. She's but, probably uh, broken hearted. First of all, they came back f- from Vietnam that way. They uh, did they did they have post traumatic stress or any of that? They had all kinds of different things. I couldn't fully understand it as a child. But yeah, how I, old were you? I was no more than around about seven years, six oh, years that's, old. That's tender. Yes, and 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 me, I, I never forget the day I seen her come home. When they, you couldn't recognize it right away. Don't get me wrong. You know how you progress addiction. And you notice, you know, I see them come home in uniforms. I was so proud of them. You know, it was awesome. You know, they had all kinds of little decorations, little things I didn't understand. But to make a longer story short, my mother um, moved me to Buffalo. So I was one that came up, you know, rough, didn't do well in the school, didn't wind up doing all kinds of negative things to try to make my way or find my way, you know, and mm-hmm. that led me into incarceration. But... Uh, just uh, hold on there. When did you, uh, from the time your brothers came back to the time your mother said, I, I better get him out of here, wh- how old were you then? Oh, okay, around about 
Soon when my mother moved me off, I never got that hurting experience. I was around about eight years old. Cause so got, right away, she got you out of there. Yes, she got me out of there, and I went to live with my older sister. She was a second, you know, we used to call her like Big Sis. And, you know, life is a little different and stuff in, in Buffalo to a certain degree. But it still had its flaws as well back then. But um, to make a longer story short, one of my brothers got saved. He went to a tent meeting, strung out, and the whole nine. The gentleman he meeting he went to was um, Reverend Schambach, an old evangelist preacher that preached all around re- the country. I remember. So Reverend Schambach um, approached him and told him, God called you to be a minister. He couldn't see that, but God showed it. And my brother even told me all these things. Say so he came back to him once again, God called you to be a minister. You know, we could never see when somebody prophesies in our life about, you know, God. But anyway, he became a pastor. Of course, he went through the process. He wound up going to Reverend Schambach um, College, a Bible school in Texas. And Reverend Schambach wound up, he got out of college. And then, you know, he became the first positive role model in my life. And and how, how this is one of the brothers that came back from Vietnam. <laughs> yes. So he got out of addiction. He got out of addiction. I've seen his process. Wow. I saw his process. So wait, you, you were up in Buffalo and you see nah, this. Nah, he used to always be back and forth. He was or you were? Not me. I used to always be back and forth because I was able to travel as I started hitting my early teens. You know, I thought I was grown, you know. Uh, yeah, sure. And and you actually saw him go from addiction to straight? Yes. And I saw wow. his transformation. I saw him get a job. I saw him start going to church. And I was like, listening to him and he witnessed, you know, to me, the biggest mistake I made, I was trying to be like him. But our process is different. You know what I'm saying? But I did believe, you know, in the God he was preaching and talking about. You know, as yeah. time went on, God had his ways, you know, to shift me towards him after my willingness experience. So when did – so you, at this point, you're going back and forth. You're a teenager, uh, maybe a little rebellion or whatever. So ha, when did you do your bid? If, oh, in your 20s? No. The first time I got incarcerated, I was 16. Oh, Yes, 16 hit Rackers Island. You know, it was a shocking, oh, um, man. scary experience, but God was with me all then. And, and w- w- at this point, is your brother born again? Yes. At that time, my brother was in college. And he sees you go to prison. Yes, he heard about it, you know. And he's bummed out. Yes, he is. Did he ever get to see it, or he, he couldn't get nah, up? Nah, he, um, me and my brother really started connecting when I turned 18. Okay. He became a chaplain at the Rackers Island. He got involved with prison ministry, mission ministry. So he was down in Texas and came back up. After he graduated, yes. Then he started getting involved with mission ministry. um, He was a chaplain at Rackers Island. In fact, I ran into him on Rackers Island, but I was visiting one of my friends that was going upstate. And, and, you know, my brother just took on a positive role. You know, I finally went to church with him, in other words. When I went to church, and, and, my life began to change. And um, not for sensational purposes, tell, tell people a little bit about Rikers Island and your personal experience in there before you started maybe shifting. Oh, most definitely. At Rikers Island, at the time I came to Rikers Island, you didn't have too many gangs. I saw gangs integrating. Rikers Island is a real dark world. And you had to, you know, it takes, you know, you had. I was that type of person, dark as well. So you had to adjust in as time went on, being in and out of Rackers Island, you become what they call institutionalized. You take incarceration for granted. 
until you constantly get going in and you think you're never going to come out of that kind of lifestyle. You think you never could change. That's your life. Yes. This is my life. Awakening came to me one day in court when they called me a career criminal. Blew me away. And it hit me like, you know, and the, the saddest part is it was the truth. Yeah, You'd never heard that terminology before? No. So someone's labeling you. Yes. This and guy, it, and it, this is what you are. You'll be a prisoner all your life because you're bad all your life, and this is the way you're going to be. Exactly. That's a terrible definition. Yes. The, Holy uh, mecca. Yeah, How do you look in the mirror after yes. somebody says that to you? And when he said that to me, I was like, oh, wow. And, you know, at the time it seemed like it to be true because every time you turn around, you know, um, I'm in jail. Every time you turn around, I'm hustling, trying to get money the wrong way because I didn't do well in school because mm-hmm. the streets and the money took me. You know, I got educated in you know, in prison. You know, so I had to, you know, start. It's sad that I did better in prison than I did out here for his behavior, for his learning trades. But you're not, yeah, listen, you're not alone because what happens is um, the Bible says that people are um, who are unrestrained. Uh, it, it's a it's a bad 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 world. Mm. The nuns used to teach us in Catholic school, idleness is the devil's workshop. Most definitely. so so when someone goes to prison now, all of a sudden there's a restraint. Mm-hmm. They're not casting off restraint. So so there's a restraint, and then somebody can learn. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's there's guardrails. So you're not the first person that actually did better, you know, adorning his bid than when he's like, you know, out. You know what helped me? You have a you have another guy on Pals for Christ. You have prison ministries. Yeah. And they used to come to Rackers Island and one day I decided to go to service. Yep. So like how long were you in there when you when you finally uh, hit that I'm matter of fact, I'm glad you said that. I had to be like I had to be thirty 39, because I never forgot this at chapel service, and I finally went, because I used to then go. After how many how many years? In and out, oh my God, like 20, 30-something years in and out, oh. incarceration. But it's just something. But something. What snapped in is the prison ministry. You had guys coming in, telling a testimony, how they was and how they became. And that gave you hope. It gave me hope. And So then, their testimonies were you sort of internalized them like yes. as if hey yes. maybe this could be me yes i met many of guys that used to be one guy i met matter of fact he was on tv there 50 years and he was on tv when coming out he had to learn how to use tokens and, and metro card all that stuff and he happened to be there yeah i remember seeing him on tv he told his testimony then he had guys who used to be in gangs back in the days they grew old but they they dedicate their life to the ministry, prison ministry, which was a good thing. So that in, that encouraged me to start reading my Bible. Then when I found out my Bible gave me peace, I used to could escape being incarcerated reading the Bible. That's how I came familiar with Old Testament because I used to like the little war stories. And, me, me too. You know, <laughs> and so it, I, I actually used to, you know, be there. So I had to learn how not to be religious-minded but just be relationship-wise and, and and don't try to um, press nobody with my belief, but just do it by my testimony. You know what I'm saying? Because I can't save nobody. You know, um, whether you're in prison or not, Kevin, isn't the peace of God kind of hard to explain to people that don't have it? Yes. They, they might understand that they don't have peace, 
But when you're trying to verbalize and articulate they had got to have their own experience. Yeah. And when you have your personal but, experience. But how are they going to have it unless they hear somebody else they, has it? And then they can say, I, I don't know what that is, but I, I sure could use it. And then maybe that would be like the first step. To a certain degree, because you got to remember, when I was incarcerated, um, I used to run into pastors, kids, people who were bishops. They miss, you know, they went the other way instead of, you know, yep. they followed the teachings mm-hmm. and and they should look out for them you know and used to encourage them and they had it way better than me you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying used to protect them you know if you was a christian i was that guy because i used to stay in good shape you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and i just and i believe in god and, and i believe but i was still caught up but this is what caught my attention also in jail god elevated me even as a sanitation guy he made me head over because another guy, he had it, and he passed it on to me when he got released. And it's like I was able to go all over the jail, clean everything up. I was in charge, and I said to myself, I said, if I could do this here, I could really work outside. And I started working outside, started going to church. And one of the churches I visited, because he, he told an awesome testimony, Bishop, um, I keep forgetting his name, but he was from Brooklyn. He told an awesome, powerful testimony when he used to be a panhandler mm-hmm. and junkie and stuff, you know, and different guys, right? So uh, and instead, I got out. I said, you know what? I'm going to get a job. And you were 39 at this point? Yes. Not 38. 38. 39 when I really got serious because, you know, mm-hmm. so the reason I remember 38 because I stopped working really like, I mean, I worked before then, but I got more serious about working yeah. instead of quitting. Just yeah. start yeah, like, yeah. you know, and then start work, work, work started to make sense. Exactly. And then without you knowing it, you're climbing a ladder. And I got not, it. not in that negative sense, not right. in the greedy sense. Right. All of a sudden, all of a sudden there's like a door opens. Your door up. open. And God is awesome. You write about the promotion, right? Because my attitude, like I remember one place I started out as a messenger. You know, I got what I can get. And this other guy, he was a Christian. And he knows I'm there on time. And he, you know, he see me reading, you know, I always kept the pocket-sized Bible in the morning before we go disperse throughout the city. And they had this other spot open, which is more money. And he chose me. It was God. And I was only on the job a good month. You know, God just starts showing me different stuff and just start helping me and keeping me and teaching me. And I start staying out of jail. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, you know how you do a bid in jail? I start doing the bid in the streets. A year went past. Two years, three years, four years. Then the one shocker was they actually called me to, um, you know, to be on the jury duty. And so I became real productive person in society. And, I, and then I finally learned how to pay my taxes, file for taxes, you know, different things that I didn't know nothing of because I come from a real dark world. Yeah. You know, where you, you know. When, when you say the dark world, did you recognize, um, you know, guys that were, you know, doing bids, but they, they, they'd become a Christian or Most turned definitely. around? So you, you – you're saying the dark world several times now. Did you recognize guys that were light? They were in the Throughout light. My travel, yes, incarcerated. Enough. And what did what did they what did they have that you didn't have? You're saying you're in the darkness. No, without what is the light? No, when I say dark world, I'm talking about my behaviors, my actions, and stuff like that. Um, certain things they had that demeanor, like my brother, like this one particular guy. You know, it was this guy, he was a, he's just like my brother, but he was there for whatever crime. You know, we didn't get too much into that, but he was a Christian. And he did this um, um, prison thing in the letters that 
you know, oh. they just grip it out in the streets. He was real locked in. Yeah. And, and and he just reminded me of my brother, his ways. He's a Christian. He spoke up for God. He stood up for God. And I liked it that. Yeah, there's, a, yeah. there's just that contrast. Mm-hmm. And then you transition into the light. One of the last things, too, a correction officer who I grew to knew and got familiar with, because I got familiar with a lot of correction officers. You know, they sure. they just doing the job. So I got cool. You know, I was cool with a lot of them. One, i never forget his name, Mr. Johnson. He told me he was saved. That blew me away. And you go to church now. And matter of fact, that was during my last incarceration. It blew me away that he was saved because I understood what he was talking about more than he knew. Uh, so I'm saved and going to church, this and that. And I was like, you couldn't get away from when God called you. You might go through a wilderness experience here and there. But when God called you, you're going to come. And it's a drawing. It's a drawing. He, he's, he's bringing, so he brings you out. And... Uh, how the heck did you get back to Albany? This is going to blow your mind, right? <laughs> okay, God called me. Um, I was with a girlfriend, right? We lost the apartment because her mother died. We couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. So we was on the verge of homelessness, right? And this lady didn't know me from a hole in the wall. I really didn't want to go in a regular type of shelter setting. So mm-hmm. I just went to one place with uh, with a counselor to give me help. Told I wanted to get in a place where I could do things. She wrote the address. She wrote the mission. First thing I said, not this one. Oh, okay. Listen. Then I looked. I went downtown, the one on Lafayette, the first mission, matter of fact, in the United States, Jay yeah, McCauley, yeah. right? Yep, yep. I went there, um, 90 Lafayette. I looked. The first thing I noticed, they said, Jesus saved. I noticed that sign. I said, Lord, want me here. So I went in there as a guest. I said, we still had an apartment. Any day we could get evicted. So we were making moves, putting our stuff in storage. So I went there and stayed one night, like the guests do here. Next day, I joined a day program, new life program. Did good. First time in my life I was ever sober for a year in New York. That blew my mind. I was like, I was into it. You know, mistakes I made. Yeah. You know, I went back back around the old way, perked up, like, look at me now. And I went down. Right. And when I went down, guess what came with it? Got incarcerated. And I ain't been in jail at that time in 10 in ten years, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, wow. And guess where the um, tombs at down there? Because I had left the mission, I forgot to tell you. Fast track, I got the outside job, moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to do this. I was doing this down there. I ain't want no parts of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lied to you. I wanted to be like the regular kind of yeah. guy, go to church two or three times a week. God had a different calling. So, as time went on, I wound up incarcerated, right? And the mission is a block from the tombs in New York. One block over Center Street, Lafayette. My girl, she had just got caught up into... Casino got strung out. I sent her to get money. She ran off to casinos. And the mission people came to me. The mission guys came to my aid. They like, oh, Kevin's a cosplayer. You know. So I came out. Of course, I was leaving her. So I'm like, I got to start all over again. I said, but I got to get out of the city. And I went to a, a, my old counselor. He's a pastor and a counselor from Jersey, Mr. Cunningham, right? I was planning on going to Connecticut because I heard about they had a good uh, mm-hmm. Christian program there. He said, no, Albany. I said, oh, wow, I was born there. Man, that must be God. So I got here, and a lot of my folks died off of my mom's past, and I lost a lot of people. That brother I was telling you about, I lost him last year. You know, a lot of people passed and went on. So I got here. Pastor um, Dell, he was respecting now, me. Now, when, when was that? How old How old would you be at this point? I got here, check. I, this is where I land here, age 49. You know, age 49, I landed here. 
and I turned 50 here, and it was like, it fell on Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, I was sitting at church, I was like this. It actually fell on Mother's Day, right? My first year here was on Mother's Day. I was like, uh, so I got involved with the church, got involved with mission ministry, complete first. Went through the disciple class, the step studies. Here. Yes. You know, they we here get, here in Albany. Here in Albany, the new life program. I had to do everything all over again to mm-hmm. show you how good God is. Listen to this one. It was a guy already in the program. You know the last time I seen him? When we both was going to state prison in Brooklyn. Oh back now thirty years ago, but And you saw him here. He was in the program already. Because God know I'm shaky. Yeah. So this is a new place, got a little money in my pocket, I got here, it was like off, you know, I stepped out of my comfortability, mm-hmm. which is the city. And and this is all new to me again, even though I was born here. And and he was here. He helped drew, drew me in. He's the last person I thought I'd see here. And he was here, Nunez. He pulled me in. It was in the summertime, so, you know, I was, like, still battling with, oh, I am think I'm doing the wrong thing. But I got plugged in, started doing the classes, and I realized I'm not a victim. I'm just one that's got to make change within myself. So as time went on, I just really locked into the things the guys is teaching in the program. Mm-hmm. And then I started volunteering as an RA. And I always had the desire to help people. I did it anyway. And even though I was out there doing this and that, it was just a part of me because my mother was a nanny and my father was a drug counselor. So mm-hmm. helping people and people person was my thing. Mm-hmm. So it made, I never forgot the first time I felt so good thinking about other people than myself. And I served on the line because that's part of the requirements while you're in the discipleship program. And I served somebody. You know, I did breakfast that morning. It felt so good. When you say, when you say on the line, why don't you explain? Oh, oh cafeteria. Good. In the cafeteria yeah. is ser- serving food to the guests. That's a great feeling. And I know because forgot. I, I mean, spiritually they're hungry, yeah. and then physically they're hungry. And, and I fell in love. You're using both hands. You're serving the body and the spirit, right? And I, and exactly. So I made it in my mind then. I was, you know, go above and beyond, just help people, you know, because I did a lot of negative things. So now what I do is do a lot of positive stuff. You understand? Is not religious stuff, but things God likes. You understand? And... And I saved, you know, and God used me to save people's lives. I just ran to God, forgot to save his life in the bathroom. He, he just reminded me. I mean, I remember I saved, but he told me, yeah, I told such and such you saved my life. <laughs> and that's when I was just volunteering. And I could never tell you the count of how many people we saved their life through heroin overdose because we got Narcans and we, sang, we trained for CPR. We do more than people know. You yeah. know, when you're outside looking in, you have no idea. What- yeah, first of all, you and I were discussing this place is in crisis. You mm-hmm. know, you're, you're you're taking some really nice time with me, Kevin. I appreciate it. But you're in your shift right now. Most definitely. You see and, how I was before you yeah, got here. And this this <laughs> is, you're in the evening shift. And it, people might not know that the evening shift is tough shift. It's the roughest second. And, and we have uh, up here in Albany some changes in the seasons. And mm-hmm. you got code blue. We got extreme cold blue tonight. Yeah. yeah you, why don't you just even explain. Somebody might not. Okay. No, like, okay. what's happening like, what happened? right now? We're talking talking about, you know, there's a, like a crisis every minute. Yes. Cold. People think they go through a crisis once in their life, twice in their life. No. This place is constant crisis. crisis. We deal with people with mental illness. We deal with people with drug addictions, um, ex-cons. People don't want to be here. That's on parole. Now, cold blue is, um, is when it's 32 and under. A lot of times, even if it's raining and cold, we just... 
label in house cold blue. Now we got the thing when they get in the single edition, um, single digit rather, and they get in the wind chill is that we call it a stream. So that means that we take anybody in, even those who misbehave, as long as they not acting violent today, meaning we forgot yesterday. We're dealing with today. Our main thing is not to see you freezing the cold. Our main thing is to make sure you have a coat, clothing. You know what I'm saying? That could yeah. protect you from and this it wicked make, it season. Do, it doesn't make sense to people on the outside, but but they you have to understand that literally the person's living in the moment. They, Most they, definitely. They're not thinking 10 minutes, I better get inside. I better get coat. Like I better get something to eat. They, they're not. Like yesterday, you got guys right here just start snowing, right? I know this it because this is what we do. You had guys on the line with hoodies. They sign in. I didn't, you know, I just looked, see what they got. I just ran and got a couple of coats. That's what we do. You know what I'm saying? And they be like, and little gestures like that, you'd be amazed of how it helped people. Or you just show them kindness. Like this plate's right here. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you don't eat. Sometimes I save my plate for somebody that's going to come through. Like this girl I was telling you about earlier. It almost broke my heart when she OD, but I always look out for a short Christ love because mm-hmm. somebody showed me that type of love. You know what I'm saying? And um, and I always look out for them. Still, she might be in a crisis room waiting. But after this, I told her, you know, I always try to look out for people. If I can't, I'm, I know I can't save the world, but that's what I do. I figure like this: me practicing it, it spreads. You know, and it has. You'd be amazed at the number of people have gratitude just for a helping hand, just for a kind word. Because you encounter, we encountering people that experience homeless also for the first time, mm. and it's really a shocker to them. You know, they when, don't know what the, it's like going to a different country. You yes, can't speak the language, man. Yes. You don't and, know what you're doing. And the worst thing they can get caught up with is the wolves in the streets, because yeah. then they can sense and smell such. And we try to protect them from it if they listen. Some do, some don't. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, Kevin, the. Um, can you can you describe to people what it's like here at night? So um, we we bring people in uh, at at six thirty. We have a chapel service, which it's mandatory. It's mandatory, but we don't want <coughs> we don't want to um, force. We never try to force religion. It's not. I ain't gonna say mandatory, but we try to convince people at least. Because I always tell people like this. I keep it real and raw. I say because I keep it like this. I keep it simple. I said, I may not be no good, but one thing I know how to do is give God praise and thanks. Always, you know, on one-on-one, and it, and it makes sense to him. Just give God praise and thanks for a place of refuge. I thank him because I walk through those doors just like you. You know, like that. I persuade them like that. It's nothing we force on them. They persuade it through, because hey, I yeah. always let them know, ain't nothing out in the streets but death and penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and uh, what you were just talking about, about, you can't save the world, but you can do what you can do. You can do what you can do in your life, in in the in the little environment that you and I have. Mm-hmm. We can do what we can do. I can't interview a million people, but I can interview you. I right. can, you know, one day at a time. And what you're describing, you know, when you're looking out for somebody that's out in the streets, you're you're kind of basically saying, uh, living the scripture that says comfort with the comfort you've been given. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've been given comfort by God and people. Mm-hmm. And now out of that, 
is what we minister. We we don't minister and thinking we can change the world. Cause we can't. No, nah, we can't. But I look at it like this. I try to practice what I preach on the smaller, uh, whatever level you know I'm considered a being on. Because mm-hmm. I believe like this, right? Like for instance, I believe in unite. We stand. It's an old saying, but it's true. And divided we fall. You understand? I don't care what race you are or nothing. I treat you equal, but I just like to, you know, unite. You know, like when guys, because you got guys getting fights, all that different stuff, you know, and we practice de-escalation. If we can't, we also have the police. God set it up like this. Police station over there, Mithril place over there, you know, and the mission right here. All right, what, just for our listeners who can't see you, Kevin is describing that the rescue mission in Albany is just—it's in the hood, but it's been placed right next to the police station. Not a small police station, a big police station, and across the street is the Albany County Department of Health. So what Kevin's describing here is just unbelievable. And and during some of the riots, we had people out here, and they did not touch, touch the mission. They did not touch the, the mission. The crowd said, they're helping us. Because, <laughs> so, you know, a couple of people I, was just I, confused I, and be led, misled by, you know, how riots, you know, be throwing stuff. They said, they don't touch the mission. <laughs> they help us. That's all they need to hear, and they did not touch us. Uh, you know, I mean, it was chaos that No, night. it was chaos. It was, we had a McDonald's go take take. Take the knee, man. That was it. It was. It, it was gone. It, it they was they were great. done. One guy, he just actually was following the crowd, and I was trying to get him in our program. He's doing ten years. He decided in his little mind to impress the, the wolves, which is in the streets, and then threw a brick at the police car. They came down the next morning. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And this is first. And I gave him the opportunity, you know, to be in the program to change his life. Yeah, you don't want to see you don't want to see nah, him do I, what you yeah. had to do, but yeah, he, sometimes yeah. you gotta, and that's what we're saying. We can't, lot, we can't, yeah. we can't save the world, but no, we can can't. we can do what we can. You gave him the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else we can do. And it's the best thing you can feel and see is when you know to God always be the glory when the person comes and a lot of just like I told you earlier, a lot of guys I don't remember I help. I had guys I be in my moment. Sometimes you get weary in this kind of ministry. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Yo, and, and God always <laughs> sent somebody to remind you. Like, oh, man. God, it's, I mean, I could never tell you the time. Thank you. I really appreciate you. know, through my testimony, they may have heard. And that, when something. you're weary, that's that's the pill you need it. And, and I'll be like, and I tell them, too. I said, thank you. You know, I mean. Hey, listen, listen. You, what you're doing, sometimes you might rub shoulders with these people again and again to have a chance to say thank you. I, I'm a writer, you know, I'm yeah. a communicator. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we don't get any feedback at all. When I was a disc jockey mm-hmm. a long time ago, yes, we were in front of a microphone mm-hmm. and it was going out, what, 20, 30 miles, whatever your radius was. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get many calls that night, the only thing you're thinking is I'm locked in a room in a basement talking into a microphone. Am I in mentally insane? You know, there's, <laughs> is there anybody out there, you know, and then maybe you get a call or two, yeah. but, uh, years, years later, you know, someone might say, uh, you know, I read what you wrote mm-hmm. and it, 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 it helped, it helped me Or I get, I do a devotional and people will write back and right. say that meant a lot to me today. So you might not, hear it all the time but i think god times the feedback yes. of encouragement just when you're like 
I don't think I can do this anymore. Especially on the second shift. It's oh like, my gosh. You, know, I have you to get off at midnight, right? Yes. And I have to encourage the co-workers that work under me. You know, I have to encourage them all the time because some of them is their first encounter with mental illness. It's on all levels. And people with certain addictions, you know. And it's like, they, it's a mind shocker when they come out of the class. They, you know, we recruit them, but then we prepare them. But when they start seeing it for themselves, the tough guys. It's a marathon. Yes. <laughs> hey, Kevin, we got to switch gears now. Um, as you know, um, the age sage is is about those 60 and over. Mm-hmm. You, you just turned 60 or about to? I, no, I turned 60 in May. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, you've now entered that, that honored uh, seventh decade. So I got to ask you um, – You've been through a lot, Kevin, and 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 um, you know um, we we can speak all we want to about God, but mm-hmm. you you had to cooperate. Most definitely, it's a partnership. Most definitely, and you've been through a lot, and you're up to this point now in your life. And you know how good God is. I don't even feel sixty. Yeah, it's hard for me to believe. Well, first of all, you don't <laughs> you don't look you don't look sixty. I'll tell people who don't see it. But when I walk in and see Kevin, he's like a linebacker, and I'm like a running back. And if anybody gives him any lip there in the hallway, uh, they were running into a linebacker. In fact, they're they're running in, they're running into the, the 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 middle linebacker, not an outside linebacker. They're running into Kevin Anderson. So, but yeah. listen, uh, you're looking ahead. Everybody looks ahead, whether they know it or not. And, and we, as seniors, look ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, uh, here I am in the aging field. I see a lot of a lot of serious, serious issues. Mm-hmm. Aging. Yes. Um, you see a lot of serious problems. Um, looking ahead at your own life, um, if God wills it and gives you another thirty years, you know, you're. I, I used to be a coach, so I always say, "When is the game won?" In the last quarter, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, so the last quarter or last third of your life, it, th- this is this is like serious stuff ahead. Mm-hmm. Where where Kevin has got to get that championship ring when he finally sees the Lord, right? Yeah. Um, what do you see coming? I mean, do you look ahead a little bit? Yes, I do. What I and, see- and and you got to get back to tell me about your, your daughter. But let's get let's get back to the general question of going ahead. Yes. Um, what I see ahead, right, uh, I'm staying put into, I, you know, one of my goals is to write, you know, a book or two. And, uh, you know, I'm always, I, I had, as long as God gave me good health and a good state of mind, I'm going to be in the business of helping people from all walks of life. You'd be amazed, you know, um, of the people that came in here, you know, and I could read them real well when it comes to it's your first time, you know, and comfort them. I enjoy helping people and, and it helps me. You know, to stay in comfort. And I can't, ima- I can't imagine uh, like, the I, comfort I, that they get out of looking into your eyes and saying, I think this guy understands me. He understands me where I'm at. He's not trying to tell me I should be somewhere else. Right, right. Like right now, you know who's on my mind? That girl who I ran into earlier. Because she had, you know, I have a good rapport with a lot of people from the streets. And she's out there not dressed properly, proper. Right, and I want to get her, you know, a and coat. it's in the twenties. Yes, and I want to get her a coat and a hat, and I'm hoping she listened to me because I told her to come in here and then wait in the um, room so I can go to the um, free clothing ministry we have, 
and you know get a that's you know that's what I'm about. I, I believe like so. To, so when, when you're when you go through anything in life, it's just like we were talking about going up that ladder before. Mm-hmm. So now you know, looking ahead, maybe a book. You know, you're doing a lot of practical things now. Not that a book isn't practical, because I've written some books. Mm-hmm. But uh, now you're like, maybe I'll go up another step. It's not better than another job. Yeah. Writing a book isn't better. It's a different. It's something that... I wanted to do, to w- share. Yeah. And it's basically the same thing that you're doing here exactly. on a second-by-second basis in the middle of these moment-by-moment crises that you are... Pretty much responsible for to like a quarterback down here. Now you could do it in book form, and you're looking ahead as a senior and yes. saying, "Hey, I've got some experience under my belt. I, I got to write it because it's exactly. it's exactly the same thing as what I'm doing here, except it's in print." Exactly, and I'm one that's like this, right? I believe in change and better, and things. You know, I believe we could be a better like I'm, I'm keeping it on Albany. I believe we could be a, a better city. We can't be judgmental. Okay, we all got our bad folks. We just got to continue, you know, practicing on whatever level God put us on. You know, just like like I said, united we stand, divided we fall. You know what I'm saying? We just got to stop pointing fingers at each other and do something about it. Because just like I said, everybody got somebody in their family that lost their way. You understand? And and, and the amazing part is that's what I love about – that's another thing I love about the mission – we accept you just the way you are. You understand? Um, believe it or not, people come in from all walks of religious. That's not my business, you know, who you believe in and, and all that. But my business is just to share who I believe in but not force it on you. Mm-hmm. You understand? That's not my place because in the Bible it says God got to draw you to him. I would share my experience, but my main thing is to help you and meet your needs if I can help you. Money, I can't help you with that. <laughs> but I can help you with the necessities that you need. Yeah, well, you got, you you got stuff direction. that's worth more than money. So that's what you would share in the book. Yes, I would share my, you know, um, because I was one broken in all my ways, loss, resentment, hatred, you know, because of my upbringing. You know what I'm saying? Like, like why didn't I have a better exactly. upbringing? Why didn't I have more right. money? Why didn't I come from a different uh, city? Why didn't I come from a different neighborhood? Right. Whatever. I, I mean, you can go right down the yeah, list. Exactly. And, and, and the victim thing. You said oh, all of a sudden you didn't see yourself as a, a victim. victim no more. That was, and that's, that's an amazing. Change, and that's when change started happening. And I never forgot how I felt. I was like, hey, I ain't a victim. I just got to do things. You know, because sometimes you can get caught up in, um, man, your mistakes of the past. You got to leave it in the past. Hey, I, I was a coach. Yeah, so you, if you concentrate, you know, you gotta, uh, if you like, concentrate on that last mistake, what are you going to do the next play? You know, but yeah, that's that's really interesting. So that victim thing actually changed your whole life. Yeah, because we outlook. get caught up in the self pity party thing, and what happens is life will continue going on. You understand, and you say, "Oh my God, it's not changing. It's not changing yeah. until you take action." On yeah. the smaller scales, like a lot of guys, I tell them, I say, "Um, sometimes you got to take time out to find out God's plan for your life." You understand? I used to be religious-minded, but I don't, I'm not that person no more. I learned to be in a relationship, recognizing and realizing I'm going to have flaws as long as I'm in this body, but I got to continue pressing my way in spite of. Mm-hmm. And I realize only judge is the most high God. That's mm-hmm. it. And with yeah. a mindset like that, you can, serve, you can serve people. 
Thanks for tuning in to part one of a part two series with guest Kevin Anderson of The Rescue Mission. Be sure to tune into part two as the senior editor wraps up this inspirational conversation right here on The Age Sage.